Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Allianz Global Corporate and Specialty Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Reichman, Media Relations Coordinator in North America. On today's show, we're talking product recall on the heels of the release of the new Allianz Report product recall, managing the impact of the new risk landscape. And on today's show, we're very happy to welcome in Christoph Bentele, the Global Head of Crisis Management here at Allianz, who will touch on many aspects of the report. But before we get into that conversation, wanted to let you know that the report examines current and emerging risk and loss trends in product recall. It also includes exclusive insurance claims analysis. And you can read the full report by clicking on the link in the description of this podcast, you can also find the report on our website at agcs.allianz.com. The report highlights the increasingly important role of crisis management services, including specialized insurance, and it outlines what can be done to mitigate the fallout when an incident occurs. So a lot of good stuff in that report and a lot of good stuff coming up in our conversation with Christoph. Christoph Bentele is the Global Head of Crisis Management here at Allianz. And Christoph, as outlined in the recently released product recall report, the five steps that can help manage a product recall are preparation, discovery, action, communication, and recovery. Now, I know that's a lot, but can you take me through the essence of that? Sure, let's start with preparation. Most companies are able to prepare in peace times for anything that could potentially happen to their products. Um, and the way you do this is basically you are running exercises, you're running mock recalls. Um, many companies bring in third party um, service providers. Um, at Allianz, we work with a company called Red24, it's an iJet company. Uh, what they do is basically they help the client to improve processes, to improve the recall plans, uh, to improve quality management processes, um, so that when the crisis strikes, they are prepared. I give you an example on the communication side, and we'll touch on this a little later. Um, it is not a bad idea to actually think about how will I potentially communicate to the public, to consumer, to authorities, um, to my staff to suppliers, vendors, in case I have a problem with one of my products. It's a good idea to actually think in peace times about how am I going to communicate rather than wait for the crisis to strike and then really having enormous time pressure um, to come up with a statement um, that you know gets the message across that you are totally uh, in control uh, of the situation. So that's preparation. Discovery, um, obviously, you know, usually how these things work is that um, somehow in the quality management department, someone gets hold of an anomaly. Um, this could happen, for instance, because a consumer complains. It could happen because you know um, they realized with the holding, with the with the, with the products that have been held, um, that there's something wrong with the product. And many times they don't know, companies don't know right away what's wrong with the product. They just know there's an anomaly, something's wrong, something's not the way it used to be. And, and so now they try and discover what's the problem. Uh, good examples, you know, um, they find that potentially there is uh, a pathogen on the product. So maybe salmonella, listeria, whatever. Now they're trying to find out how did that happen? What was the source? Was it an ingredient? Did it happen um, during my manufacturing process and so forth? So the discovery period can take quite a while, 
Um, again, um, companies use um, external laboratories, external service providers to help them um, make sure that they actually get to the, the core of the problem as quickly as possible. Now, really quickly, and I don't mean to cut you off, but in the midst of a situation where there are consumer complaints or, like you said, somebody notices something's up, right, something's wrong, obviously these steps kind of mush together, right? They're a little malleable in, in terms that you can discover, but at the same time you're going to have to be communicating. Yes. I mean, that really it really depends on the case. I mean, um, if it is a consumer complaint that comes in and you you're basically reacting, right? Whereby if you detected the anomaly while the product is still, you know, in um, in production or is still within the firm, um, you are being proactive, really. Um, obviously, reaction means that you need to actually react on various um, levers. You, you need to, you know, obviously, re first of all, you need to react towards the consumer, right? Um, you need to react potentially um, towards your own staff. Um, if you're un, un, um, unlucky, you may have to react towards governments or, or uh, authorities. And that obviously requires a whole lot of communication, which brings us back to what I said earlier. If you have prepared a little bit on what your story is going to be, well, uh, you know, I think that you are much better prepared to actually start the communication process. But you're totally right. Discovery many times overlaps with action, response, if you like, right? And that may include communication, which brings us from the discovery period into the action, you know, and the action is, is manifold. I mean, now you've identified, okay, there's something wrong with the product, most likely it is salmonella. I now have identified, okay, the salmonella stems from an ingredient, let's say. And now there's a whole lot of action actions that actually have to start. You need to get and communicate to authorities. You don't want them to actually be on the forefoot. You want to make sure that you are proactive and you're managing the crisis, right? While you're making sure that you basically capture all the bad product, you're making sure that that process step that went wrong, you, um, you identify other ways of dealing with this process step. So this could never happen ever again. At the same time, you are communicating, you know, um, to authorities. Make sure they understand you're totally in control of the issue. You're communicating potentially to consumers if it's out there in open space, right? To make sure that consumers are aware that you're not only in control, but that you actually have captured all the bad stuff, and you have replaced everything with the good stuff. So it's you know fine to, to continue to purchase the product. So you think about all of those steps, right, and just how difficult they are to put into action, right? I mean, you get a consumer complaint on a Wednesday and Wednesday morning, and by Wednesday afternoon, you've got to recall X amount of product from the market. In terms of bigger industries, right, food and beverage, automobiles, those billion-dollar recalls that were pointed out in the uh, product recall report, just how hard is it? to recover from that, and that leads you into your final step of the process, right? Just how hard is it to come back from that? Yeah, I think that, um, again, a big part of this is communication, so that's step four, and then recovery, right? A big part is communication. It really is important that you communicate correctly with the public. 
You know, you are first of all not lying at all. You are saying the truth, um, which makes sure, which means that you have to actually do your homework before you communicate ultimately to clients saying product safe. You basically communicate in a fashion whereby you say it's actually a great thing that we found the issue, fixed the issue, um, thanks for the communication that we had with the consumers and all the rest of it. And building from this communication, you're now trying to rehabilitate the brand, which is the majority of it is actually communication. This could be um, primary placements. That would be, for instance, when you go to a supermarket and you enter the supermarket and there's something displayed right at the entrance. That's usually fairly expensive, <laughs> and uh, and you could do something like this. You could, you know, uh, have extra space on TV or radio or whatever. You know, there are so many things that you could do actually to re rehabilitate your brand, um, so that hopefully the sales will be back up to normal um, after a while. Um, you know, I think that it really depends on how quickly you get on the case, how well you communicate. I think sometimes it is also a matter of um, what type of product you produce. So I think that for certain products it's easier to recover than for others. If you look into baby products, for instance, that's a tough line of business just simply because it's so emotional. And you know, when people are emotional buying a product, they're saying, this is my favorite baby food. They're also really emotional when something's wrong with the product. So it's harder to recover. I think then, you know, um, I don't know, a, a soup or, you know. Uh, People you know. do love their soup. Yeah, yeah they do. <laughs> <laughs> We've looked at it a little bit from what goes on within company headquarters, right, should there be a product recall. What is the role of the insurer in all of this? Obviously, as in most lines of business, insurance um, won't solve all your problems, right? Insurance will kick in when something went really bad and when there is a financial impact that obviously goes beyond um, what a company can, uh, if you like, cover themselves. I think that what insurance can do, however, in these lines of business recall is we can first of all raise awareness that there is actually something like pre-incident management available, that you can actually plan for a crisis. I think that's really important, and 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 we and we do this every single day. Every day we talk to clients and we tell them, listen, take advantage of what's out there. We actually even return a certain part of the premium back to the client to invest in pre-incident management procedures, so that that risk will, if you like, be a better risk for us at underwriters, but also so that the client actually, if you like, is pushed towards using these pre-incident um, measurements. I think that that's one of the jobs the insurance does, which starts, if you like, prior to, really to, to the to insuring for this product. And then obviously if something goes wrong, reimbursing the client for their recall costs, for the loss of profits, it's a very broad coverage that is available in all three areas of recall, automotive recall, as well as food and beverage and consumer goods, very broad coverage. Um, I think the third area benefit of insurance, uh, it's it's more like it's more actually for the broker um, uh, to educate the client of how much limit they need. Um, I think really most brokers that are familiar with the subject are able to really explain to a client how much limit they buy. This report hopefully will help them 
because obviously the statistics that we put together are really powerful. They look into real cases. They look into real statistics, um, albeit Allianz's statistics, our clients, but I think that you know more than 300 cases are a pretty robust basis to you know draw conclusions from it. With that knowledge, how has that space evolved? Maybe not recently, but over the last five or ten years. The recall insurance space has changed a lot. First of all, if you look at the number of insureds, I think it's fair to say that, especially in the area of food and beverage. Um, the number of insurers has grown dramatically over the last five to ten years. I do remember when I started the business, now that's a long time ago, more than 25 <laughs> years ago, um, only the very large companies would think about buying contaminated products insurance or consumer goods recall insurance. Nowadays, um, many middle market companies buy. I actually think that the smaller the company, the more important actually this type of coverage is for them, primarily because they are less able than, than very large conglomerates to, to somehow offset a loss that they may have suffered in one area with another product or another product line. You know, um, So the smaller company, the more important, I think, recall insurance is. What we've also seen is that the number of losses obviously went up. I mean, if, if you have more companies buying in, you're going to have more incidents, that's, that's for sure. But I think that we also have more incidents because the supply chain is deeper than what it was 10 years ago. Um, is it a matter of a lot of cooks in the kitchen, or is it kind of how it's always been, but now there's more of a flashlight on it? No, I think that actually um, the the depth of a supply chain, what, what that means is that suddenly you have suppliers all over the world for your product. You know, ingredients stem from all over the world, and it is much more difficult to actually do a recall. First of all, to find out what's the problem, identify you know, the supplier, and but then also to actually do the recall. Most companies are looking for new areas to grow. That includes new geographies to grow, and um, therefore they are operating, you know, in places far away from home, in totally different legal uh, situation. I mean, total. I mean, uh, regulatory environment, and I think that um, that actually adds to the problem. Um, the other thing is that um, because there is much more regulatory involvement, much more governments are actually introducing consumer safety laws. That's a great thing for consumers, for you and I, um, no doubt. And actually it's a great thing for the whole industry, but what it does is it leads to more interference, let's call it this way, more interference in the business. Whether that leads to recall or not is a different thing, but more interference. And um, I think that is one of the, that these are the two main reasons why we see more recalls now for the automotive area and there is one additional um, issue which is just in time uh, and which reduces the period where you can test a product and testing a product testing a component part is so important um, to make sure you eliminate any issues now the shorter that testing period the more things can go wrong. And that is actually one of the reasons why 
you know, in the automotive industry, you see more issues. I, I think that was one of the main causes, and correct me where I'm wrong, I know you're a, a, an automotive guy, but I, I believe that was one of the biggest problems with the Ford Pinto, right? Was that it was the shortest time from conception to market. That's correct. And that it was in such uh, bad shape when it got when it got to the consumer. Yes, I think that that is a, a good example, you know. Another example is, uh, and we have this in our report, the Takata example, right? So not only do we see more incidents, but we see larger incidents, definitely on the automotive side, right? So um, in, automo in the automotive business, you know, like when, when I was a, a young man, right, um, uh, the question was, okay, where is this component part and how many cars of a certain brand do we have to recall? Now, that is not the question anymore. The question is, in how many platforms did this component part go and how many different models of cars use the same platform, right? And, and, and because you have so many platforms using basically the same component parts, they actually are alike, even though the final product of car looks so different. You know, if something's wrong with the component part, it's all over the place, right? That, that cascading effect is making me sweat right now, and we're not recalling anything. <laughs> that's that's crazy to think about, though. I can just imagine going into the office one morning and somebody saying, "Jeez, oh, everything you've touched for the last six months, we got to bring it back." Yeah. That's scary. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But they, that's a typical example from the automotive industry, right? right. Where, where just in time is so important these days. Right? You don't really have this on the food and beverage side. Maybe a little bit on the consumer goods side, but food and beverage has different issues. I, I, I talk, we talked about this before, right? Supply chain mm -hmm. and, and, and uh, regulatory environment. Yeah. Really quickly before I let you go, we're in a generation now where everything is done online. Social media mm -hmm. is 24 seven. It's mm -hmm. always kicking. Is this helpful for product recalls, or does it end up hurting the process? I think both. <laughs> it depends. Um, it can be helpful. You're trying to get the products, you're trying to recall the products, you're trying to get products back. You're trying to increase the ratio of products that you were able to recover. Social media are great, actually, to get hold of potential buyers of this product. Um, however, the downside is that with social media, information, whether true or false, can be out very quickly and can be out everywhere. And there are many incidents that we've seen over the last few years where um, it was reported on social media that there was something wrong with the product, when in fact there was nothing wrong with the product, or it was actually not this client, but it was a different client that had an issue with the product, only that the person who reported about it did not realize. So it was not malice, it was just didn't realize that it was a different product. And with obviously the importance of social media growing day by day by day, these things can have an impact and they can actually put a company in a very difficult situation whereby suddenly they have to act even though their product is perfectly fine. Christoph Bentele, Global Head of Crisis Management, thank you so much for joining us on the AGCS Podcast. You're welcome. Thank you. So I want to give a very special thank you to Christoph Bentele for joining us on today's show. Obviously, a lot to digest from that conversation and a lot more to go over from that report. So, folks, I implore you to read the report. It's in the description of this podcast. Again, you can find it on our website, agcs.allianz.com. 
Here's a little tidbit for you from the report, and there's a lot of this stuff in the report. When you talk about some of the more expensive product recalls in recent memory, in 2016, Samsung had to recall nearly 2.5 million Galaxy Note 7s after reports of fires and explosions coming from the phone. Folks, that recall cost over $5 billion for Samsung. $5 billion with a B. That's big. That's big time. And there's a lot more cool stuff like that in the report. So again, give it a read. I think you'll really enjoy it. Again, thank you to Christoph for joining us on the show. We're on iTunes at AGCS Podcast, so give us a, a subscription, a rating, and a review. The more people who rate and review the show, the easier it is for other people to find the podcast and get some of the insights that we're giving out here on the show. We really appreciate that. Follow us on Twitter at AGCS underscore insurance on LinkedIn at Allianz Global Corporate and Specialty. And should you have a suggestion for a future AGCS podcast or any questions about today's show or any past shows or just want to have a quick chat about specialty insurance, shoot us an email at AGCS communication at agcs.allianz.com. So again, a very special thank you to Christoph. We look forward to talking to you again on the next show. So for all of us here at Allianz Global Corporate and Specialty, I'm Ken Reichman, and we will see you next time.